Now, the Beatitudes are all about what it means to live like you're in the kingdom of God. They tell us what kingdom living looks like. The Beatitudes are countercultural values that every believer is called to live by. And they are countercultural, aren't they? I mean, if you read the Beatitudes and they don't critique you, teach you, or expose you, friend, I want to suggest that maybe you're reading them wrong. They cut against the flesh and what we naturally want to do. I mean, no one wants to recognize that they're poor in spirit and unable to save themselves. We want to be self-reliant. We want to be self-confident. We want to be enough. No one wants to mourn over their personal sin and the sin in the world. We kind of want to avoid pain at all costs. No one wants to forget self and submit in humility. We want to achieve through our own power, skills, and talents. The Beatitudes are not anybody's natural bent. So if you've been sitting here week after week, giving your neighbor the side eye, hoping that they don't realize that your life doesn't look like this description of kingdom living, don't worry. We're all in the same boat. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. They are counter-cultural values that cut against the flesh. They aren't values that the world puts in us. They're values that the Holy Spirit puts into us. They're the sort of values that make the church different, and that's why they're so important. See, the thing that you need to understand is when we read commandments in the Bible— they're never about your salvation. These commandments are never about us getting saved. The commandments are never a roadmap to salvation. Jesus is the road to salvation. He is the only way. We are not saved by our good works and our obedience. God, by His grace, He extends that invitation to each of us to be His through, his, through the death of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. And our response to that is we say yes in faith. See, the moment that that happens, the moment that grace is extended and faith is returned, the Bible says that we belong, we are His, He is ours. We are His special possession, children of God, and part of His family and His kingdom. Obedience to the law doesn't come before grace and faith. It comes afterwards. It's our response to being His. Obedience has never been about our salvation. It's about our mission and how the church can live like a light to the nations. We don't do the Beatitudes to get saved. We do the Beatitudes because we are saved and we want to join with God in this mission to see the rest of the world saved as well. And so what the Beatitudes do when we align our lives and we live according to them is they mark us as distinct. They make us different. They're countercultural, and it's this that enables us to be a light to the world. I mean, if we look at the verses directly after the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, we read this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what's going to happen when we as God's people begin living out the Beatitudes? When we start being meek and righteous and merciful and peacemakers. When we are persecuted and we're poor in spirit, but we embrace mourning and pain without fear. When that happens, we're going to be salt and light in our communities. We're going to be unique and distinct and countercultural. We will be the missional church that God has called us to be. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, he said, The church is at her most attractive to the world when we're living the most distinct from the world. This is what the Beatitudes are all about. It's about kingdom living that points people to the reality of a risen Jesus. Our most effective evangelism strategy always has been and always will be believers simply being who God called them to be. So this morning, we're going to look at Beatitude number four as we continue in our series, Matthew chapter five, verse six. And I say blessed, get over it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you fill us. I thank you that you meet us where we're at. I thank you for the truth of your word and the opportunity to gather today in the name of Jesus, believing that we're not just here for a club. We're here to be transformed and changed and shifted. We're here to open our ears, to see what it is that you would say to us, to open our eyes, to show us so that we might see what you're showing us. God, we want to leave different. And so we lean into the word today and pray, God, you would have your way in us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, everyone in the room can relate to the experience of being hungry, obviously. Everyone can relate to the experience. <laughs> Jordan Chollop's not Are you hungry right now? You need a crunchy. Everyone can relate to being thirsty. Not only do we know what it's like to be hungry, but we know just how good it is when you're hungry and then that hunger is satisfied with KFC, amen, or anything else. There's nothing quite like having that satisfaction of having your hunger satisfied. And this is the incredible promise of this exact beatitude. It functions as a heavenly promise. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will fill you with it. This morning, we're going to approach this scripture a little bit slowly. We're going to dissect and look into each individual key word within the verse and see what God is saying. Is that okay? So the first word we want to look at is the word blessed or blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You know, blessed means being happy or being congratulated. So not only is it commendable to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but it also makes you happy. But notice it doesn't say happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. Have you noticed that those who hunger and thirst and desire and chase after happiness at any cost are often the ones that never find it? When you make happiness your goal, you often never attain it. Happiness as presented in the scriptures is not the thing we chase after. It's the byproduct of chasing after God's kingdom first. In fact, Jesus clarifies this in uh, Matthew 6.33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Happiness is never the goal. Actually, happiness is the byproduct of having the right goal. Happy are those not who seek after happiness, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's look at hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, there's a difference between the normal feelings and emotions that we go through as people and hunger and thirst. Normal feelings like happiness or sadness or anger, they come and go, don't they? Sometimes you feel one way and sometimes you feel another way. But the thing that makes hunger and thirst different from all of those other emotions and feelings is that hunger and thirst do not leave you until they're satisfied. Like you're going to continue being hungry until you've eaten something. You will continue being thirsty until you finally get a drink. Hunger does not stop until it's filled. Being hungry and thirst for, thirsty for righteousness is not something you have some days and not other days. You don't have it in the morning and lose it in the evening. You don't have it on a Sunday at church and lose it on Monday. You don't have it with your church mates and lose it with your uni mates. Believers hunger and thirst for righteousness until God fills them with it, because until God fills them with it, they'll never be satisfied. But you know, like I know, it's not enough to just be hungry, is it? We have to be hungry for the right things. See, the problem with hunger is we can feel hungry and we can try to satisfy that hunger with the wrong things. I mean, have you ever been hungry and tried to satisfy that with junk food? Or you've been really thirsty and the only thing on hand was a red bull and the Lord said don't, but you did it anyway. And it can feel like it worked for a moment. It kind of satisfies in in the moment, but it's not long before you realize it was all a scam. It's not long before you realize that satisfaction was only temporary. That's what happens 
when we try and satisfy the hunger and thirst in our heart with anything other than the presence of God. It might fill us for a second, but ultimately it fails us. And look, it's really easy to see that there's not a lack of hunger in our community, in our society. I mean, you just need to go to a bookstore and see the amount of self-help books on the shelves. You just need to jump on Instagram and see the amount of self-help motivational posts that you see. People are hungry and desperate to be filled. People are hungry and desperate to find a way to overcome the brokenness that they identify inside of them. And perhaps you're here and you would say, that's you today. You came to church because you're aware that you're hungry. You're hungry to be made whole, hungry to be healed, hungry for purpose, hungry to overcome the things that you feel like are holding you back in this life. And if you're honest, you've tried a bunch of different things and they may have worked for a moment, but they ultimately failed. I'm really glad you're here today. And I'm glad that you're hungry. And I'm glad that your hunger led you to this place. But there's only one thing that could ever satisfy that hunger. There's only one who promises to give a water that will quench our thirst forever. There's only one that calls himself the bread of life, and that's Jesus. The scripture tells us that it's not just enough to be hungry. We have to direct that hunger at the right nourishment. And this text here shows us that that right nourishment, they call it righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's have a look at that word this morning. What is righteousness in this context? If I was to frame this in a way that might leave you feeling pretty disappointed, I would say that to desire righteousness means to desire that all sin, wrong, shame, brokenness be completely removed from your life in every way. You might say that's a pretty tall order. Probably is. To frame it more positively, I might say, well, to desire righteousness would be to desire to be like Christ. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to deeply desire that every part of our lives would align with the Word of God, that every part of us is being conformed to the image of Christ. And now that's the hard part though, isn't it? Because it would ultimately mean that we're hungering and thirsting over something that in our own flesh and in our own effort, we can't possibly achieve. And that's what Beatitude 1, 2, and 3 were all about. That's what they prove, that we are spiritually bankrupt without God that we're sinners who cannot hope to save ourselves by our own endeavors. It is God, therefore, who must do the filling, otherwise we'll just never be filled. To say that we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness just means that we're hungry for Jesus and with the things that only Jesus can fill us with. See, this passage isn't asking us to do the work of righteousness ourselves. That's really good news. It's not asking us to do the work of filling ourselves up. That's God's job. Our job is to simply hunger and thirst. What does that look like? I mean, whenever I get the opportunity to go to a fancy restaurant, I know I've shared this before about how ridiculous things are worded on the menu, but when I go to a fancy restaurant, I like to Google it and look at the menu ahead of time, mainly because I'm terrified of what the prices are going to be and I just need to mentally prepare myself. But also, I'm quite a picky eater. And so I know when I get there, the stress of knowing I hate half the ingredients on the menu anyway and having to pick all of a sudden on the spot, like I try to avoid that feeling at all costs. And so I like to look ahead and pre-decide what I'm going to order. The problem is once I've decided, what I start thinking about it. I'm thinking about it in the car. I'm thinking about it when I'm walking into the restaurant. I start imagining getting stuck right into it. So once I've decided what I want, I set it before myself and I start hungering after it. Are you so hungry for righteousness that it's the thing that you constantly set before you? Is it the thing that you think about? The thing that you talk about? The thing that you learn about? Do you place yourself in circles where righteousness is discussed? Do you choose friendships where sin will be confronted? Are you in the Word? 
Are you in a small group? Do you spend devoted and consistent time in prayer? Because the thing that you're hungry for, the thing that you desire, is the thing that you constantly set before yourself. And that's the great promise of the Scripture, that when you hunger after Him, when you hunger after Jesus and the righteousness that only He can provide, He will give it to you and you'll be satisfied. Only in that moment will you find yourself feeling filled. Fourth and final word we'll look at this morning is filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the unconditional promise of this verse, that when you hunger for it, God will fill you with it. That when you desire righteousness, He promises to satisfy that desire. And He promises to do that in three ways. Firstly, He will fill you with righteousness right now. We call this justification. It's like the moment you choose to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the moment you stop trying to be justified by yourself, the moment you step out of self-effort and trying to find your justification in anyone other than Jesus, the moment you turn from your sin and turn to God, you are justified before Him. You're standing before God as if you've never sinned. Now, I know you have. It's not because I know you that well, but you're a human. We've all sinned. I know that you have, but justification means God looks at us and He sees us as if we never have. Romans 3.23 verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He fills you, fills you with righteousness right now. Second way He does it is he, fills, he continues to fill you with righteousness throughout this life. We call this sanctification. We've got justification, now we've got sanctification. This is one of the great paradoxes of faith. It's like the moment you're saved, you're justified. We stand before God as if we had never sinned, we are positionally perfect. But at the same time, as you know, God is still working within us. He's still perfecting us. He's still highlighting areas of our life that need to be made perfect, that need to be fixed by the Holy Spirit. So not only are we positionally perfect, but sanctification is trying to perfect our experience. We're still being conformed to the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit is highlighting those areas, and our job is just to listen and to be obedient to what it is that He's saying. The righteousness that God wants to give us is not just a positional one, but also an experienced one. And He's going to continue to fill you with that righteousness your whole life as you desire it and as you hunger and thirst for it, as you place it before you. And the third thing He'll do is He will complete the work in eternity. We call this perfection. This is this glorious promise for anyone that would hunger and thirst after righteousness. We look forward to the day when all sin, all brokenness, all shame, all guilt, all insecurity would be gone. We'll be perfect not just in our position before God, but also in our experience. We'll be completely, totally, and gloriously filled, content, and satisfied. Romans 8, verse 29 to 30. says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Ben, you guys can join me. And so my question for you again this morning, as I asked earlier, is are you actually hungry? Are you actually hungry and thirsty for righteousness? See, the incredible part of this passage is that our job is simply to hunger and thirst. That's the only part that we play. Jesus is the righteousness that we receive. Jesus does the filling. Our only job is to be hungry. 
to be hungry that every bit of sin and shame and brokenness be eradicated from our lives, to be hungry to be like Jesus. But perhaps you found yourself here today and you would say, honestly, I'm not. Like sounds cool for us to hear, but if I'm gonna be honest sitting in my seat here today in church, I'm not. Perhaps you were here and you would say, something has eroded your hunger. You might say, I was once hungry, but I'm just not anymore. I once was placing Jesus before me, but I just struggle to do that now. He's not the thing I'm setting before me. Righteousness is not the thing I desire. You might say, then what do I do? Well, friend, what you do is you go back to beatitude number one. Matthew 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy is the person who understands that without God, we are spiritually bankrupt. That's the starting place for us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because nothing makes you want food more than realizing you've got nothing in the pantry. Nothing makes you desire money more than realizing your bank account is completely empty. Nothing creates a desire for righteousness in your heart than realizing you've got none of it on your own. Let me tell you what fuels my hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's this deep abiding knowledge that I don't have any of it in my own strength. God knows that and still chooses to love me anyway. The miracle of the gospel is that we were hopeless, destitute and nothing without God, nothing to bring to the table. He knew that, He saw it and yet He still came for us while we were sinners. He didn't come looking for people that had brushed themselves off, had memorized scripture, that had presented themselves nicely, ready to go before God. He just came looking for anyone that would surrender their heart to Him, anyone that would lay down their life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me pray for you this morning.